Okay, we're carrying on our series this morning, the book of Genesis. I'm just going to start with a um, real-life story to kind of set the scene for what we're going to cover today. So in February 1993, 20-year-old Lerimian Bird was murdered by 16-year-old O'Shea Israel in Minneapolis in the U.S., Lorraine's mother, Mary Johnson, was a Christian, and at the trial, when O'Shea was sentenced, she ended by saying she would forgive O'Shea because she said the Bible tells us to forgive. However, Mary hadn't really forgiven him. She describes how she still had strong roots of hate, bitterness, and anger towards this man who had taken her son's life. One day, years later, she felt inspired to start an organization that supported both the mothers of murdered children and the mothers of children who had taken a life. And she realized she'd never be able to face and deal with these mothers if she hadn't really forgiven O'Shea. So Mary went to meet O'Shea in prison and spoke to him for two hours. At the end of this, she said she was able to genuinely forgive O'Shea. The young man couldn't believe how she could do this and asked if he could hug her. And after that hug, Mary talks about how it felt like something left her in that moment. Something was lifted from her. Now, Mary continued to meet O'Shea uh, for many years in prison, building a bond with him. And when he was released in 2010, Mary organized a welcome home party for him. Mary now to this day calls O'Shea her spiritual son. They live next door to one another, and they travel regularly together to speak at various events about anti-violence and about the power of forgiveness. I want to start with that powerful story, because I'm just conscious today that what we're looking at is something that's very real and very emotional and something that has a very real impact. You can't hear that story, can you, and not be struck by the incredible impact of forgiveness in that situation. And so today we're carrying on our our series and looking at the life of Joseph and looking at the impact of forgiveness in this particular moment in the story. It's like the culmination of everything that's come before comes to a head in this part of the story in Genesis 45. So as a bit of a recap, It's been about 22 years now since Joseph was sold into into slavery by his brothers. In that time, he's risen to a position of power, and then he's been put into prison. Um, He's interpreted dreams and risen again to another position of even greater power, and he's now number two, actually, in the whole of Egypt, isn't he? He's the prime minister of Egypt. And the last point we saw in the story was him being reunited with his brothers after all of these years. And Mark looked at the last week, the process Joseph was going through, all the kind of mixed emotions he must have been feeling when he saw his brothers again. And he, he puts that cup, doesn't he, the silver cup in Benjamin's bag as a kind of a test. He wants to see, are his brothers going to make the same mistake again? Are they going to sell out their youngest brother again? But this time the brothers show that they've changed Things aren't the same. They stick by their brother and Judah offers himself up in place of his brother. And this process for Joseph helps to build this incredible moment of release that we're about to read today when Joseph offers them forgiveness. So we're going to just read through the whole of Genesis 45 
um, and then yeah, we'll carry to carry on together. Let me just pray for us. Father, we, we know this is a difficult issue. This is a challenging issue. This is a powerful issue. Lord, I pray that you would um, speak today and that you would work on our hearts today. Amen. Okay, let's read through Genesis 45, starting from verse 1. So then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all that you have. I'll provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around Benjamin and wept and Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You're also instructed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded and he also gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, when he saw the cart Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Again, another powerful story of forgiveness that we're going to be unpacking today. And today I want to focus actually on three perspectives that we have on the impact of forgiveness um, in this story three angles we can kind of look at forgiveness at that we see in this story and look at the response um, that they teach us. So 
The first of those we're going to look at is that we have the impact of those receiving forgiveness, those being forgiven that we see in Joseph's brothers. We'll look at the impact of those seeing forgiveness in Pharaoh and his household, and then the impact of those offering forgiveness in the character of Joseph. That's what we're going to unpack today. And so we'll go straight in and start with the Joseph's brothers, looking at things from their perspective, the impact of receiving forgiveness. And the first aspect of that I want to just quickly touch on is just this idea of the fear of forgiveness. You see that in verse three. Again, it says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Joseph's brothers were terrified. It brought back, I'm sure, all these memories of what they'd done to Joseph when they saw him standing there and realized who this must be. It terrified them. Judah had just given this impassioned speech about how he was going to step in for his brother Benjamin in his place. But, but Judah, if you read back in the story, is the same one who suggested, why don't we get something out of this deal and sell Joseph into slavery? Or Reuben, who was the older brother, who was the one brother who, who stood up and said we shouldn't sell him, but was too weak to actually do anything about it. How was he feeling? Or Simeon and all the rest who had just, just said, let's throw him down this well, let's kill him. How were they all feeling in this moment? So much must have been swirling around their mind. Because you see, receiving forgiveness, or at least kind of being confronted with what we've done is hard, isn't it? It's really hard. It can bring back painful memories. We remember the person that we used to be, the regrets, the hurt we caused. We may even feel like we deserve to be punished no matter how long has passed. And ultimately, it just makes us confront the thing that we've done wrong, confront our sin. Now, we live in a world that doesn't want to talk about sin, doesn't want to acknowledge that that exists. That It likes the idea of forgiveness, but doesn't like the idea that with forgiveness comes acknowledging that there's a sin that needs to be forgiven. You know, we live in a world on, in social media, someone's either untouchable or they're unforgivable, right? You know, you can't criticize this person, but suddenly as soon as this happens, then there's, there's no forgiveness ever. That is that's like a permanent blot on their record. They get canceled, shut down, ignored. That's not to say there isn't wisdom in discerning who we should or shouldn't listen to. It doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, sort of nonsense that gets flown around online. And, you know, we do have to exercise really careful discernment about who we trust and who we listen to. But receiving forgiveness, first and foremost, is about acknowledging that we have done something wrong. And so the brother's response, I think, is, is quite right. They're terrified. I mean, first and foremost, they're probably terrified because this is a man in a position of power. He could really punish them. He could do all sorts of things to them. But it also must have just generated so much emotion, confronting and, and facing their past. Joseph says, doesn't he, in, in verse 5, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves. I'm sure he saw it on their faces, what was going through their mind. But when we, when we receive forgiveness, first and foremost, we have to just accept, yes, I did something wrong. I did something that needs forgiving. Proverbs 28, verse 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And of course, the good news, the good news in all this is that God's response, like Joseph's, is to comfort us and show us mercy and forgiveness. But we just have to acknowledge we have to face that fear 
that comes in with forgiveness, that fear of facing what we've done or who we were. So that's the first thing uh, for, for the brothers that I think uh, this story talks about. But I think another thing that I want to just focus on from their perspective, it's the response to forgiveness. So you see, let's look at verse 21 again. So the sons of Israel did this. That is all, everything Joseph had said. The sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. And as it goes on in verse 25, it says, they went out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. So Joseph says all this to the brothers. He offers them forgiveness. He offers them redemption. And he gives them very specific instructions. And it says that they went and did this. And I think the interesting thing is that it's just that what they're doing is, is that when they're receiving that forgiveness, they're then carrying on and fulfilling what they should be doing. They're not using that as an excuse to sort of stagnate. They're not using that as an excuse to kind of rest on their laurels. They then go and do everything Joseph tells them to do. They, in fact, go and do the task they set out to do. When they came to the land of Egypt, it was to, it was to provide for their family, for their household. And it says that they went and did this. And I think it can be very easy sometimes when we receive forgiveness to just kind of sit in that and then not kind of push on through and go, this, is, this gives me the impetus to step forward. It's like a springboard that takes us to, to, to carry, that pushes us to carry on, takes us to somewhere new. I think they've been given some sort of freedom and the brothers use that to, to fulfill what they're supposed to do. And I think that's a lesson in there for us as well. When we're forgiven, it gives us an opportunity to then take a, a step and to do better. It reminded me of the, um, the passage in John, John 8, when there's the woman who's been uh, found in adultery and everyone is going to stone her. And if you remember in the story, Jesus sort of draws the line that anyone um, who, who is without sin can cast the first stone. And then everyone walks away because no one there is without sin. And then Jesus turns to the woman. And he says, you know, can you see anyone here? And she says, no. And then Jesus says this. So then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. She says, I won't condemn you, but now go and leave your life of sin. Or in some passages, it says, go and sin no more. The point is, is that when we receive forgiveness, that's not the end of it, right? There's a response. There's a response to that. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus offers her forgiveness, but then gives her a challenge alongside that. And I think that's how, that's how we need to respond when we are forgiven. That's a challenge for us to go and do better. A challenge for us to go and then make that change or go and carry on in that direction that God was calling us to. And we've just not quite taken that step yet. So that's the response to receiving forgiveness. But let's move on now to the impact of seeing forgiveness. We see in the character of Pharaoh and Pharaoh and his household. And I think there's a real testimony of forgiveness that we see in this story. In looking verse 16, when the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. They were pleased. They, they were really, they were, they were delighted for, for Joseph. We saw in verse two that he wept so loudly that Pharaoh's household heard about this. So we don't know exactly what Pharaoh knew about Joseph's background. We don't know exactly what he thought had happened here, but he knew there was some wailing. There was some wonderful reuniting. He knew there was some sort of emotional breakthrough. And I think what's interesting is just that Pharaoh's reaction was he was really pleased for it. And I think that just tells us that I think when we observe and we see forgiveness, there's something really attractive about that, isn't there? 
There's something really attractive about forgiveness, about seeing that in action. Whether that's us doing it, us receiving it, or someone else doing that, it's just something really attractive about it. The world, like I said, loves the idea of forgiveness. It doesn't want to admit that you need to have, have things wrong to be forgiven, but it loves the idea of forgiveness. And it's such a powerful picture of the gospel, isn't it? It's like a mini picture of the gospel. Do you remember those bracelets, WWJD? What would Jesus do? They're a bit cheesy, I remember when I used to have them. But, you know, what's more, what's more Jesus than forgiveness? What looks more like Jesus than forgiveness? What is, such a, what is more of a, a, a picture of the gospel? What is more of a testimony to what God has done? Than, than people seeing forgive, forgiveness in action. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we want, isn't it? We want, we want to be offering, receiving. We want to be a church of forgiveness because that demonstrates who God is to people. When someone sees forgiveness in action, it's just a, such a powerful thing. You'll note you know, the Pharaoh's response leads him to actually get involved with what Joseph is doing. So it has such an impact on him. He wanted to get involved. A few, uh, a few years ago, I remember getting a message on Facebook out of the blue from someone. It's from someone from, from years ago. Um, and they just, I hadn't spoken to them for many, many years. And they just contacted me out of the blue. And they just said, I'm really sorry for this thing I did to you. I'm really sorry for this situation that happened and, and my involvement. I just wanted to just say sorry. And I remember when I got that, I was just like blown away. I was just like really struck with it, you know, like, wow. And in that moment, I immediately wanted to just like, I started thinking in my mind, I want to do that to other people in my life that I've wronged, you know, such a powerful moment. It, it kind of, it sort of elicited a response in me. You know, I don't know if you've seen the, the, the movie Pay It Forward about this, uh, this, this kid who has, has this idea about when you, something good happens to you, you pass that on to, to more people rather than paying it back to them. You pay it forward. And that's how I kind of felt. I was like struck by this person who had come to me asking for forgiveness, saying sorry. I think that's just a powerful thing, isn't it? That's just the power. That's the testimony of forgiveness, that when we see it, when we observe it, when we feel it in our life, it kind of, its tendrils go out and, want make, and wants to spread. So forgiveness, whether asking for it or offering it, it's just such a powerful testimony. And then the other thing I think that if you look at Pharaoh's side of things, Pharaoh's view of things, is that there's a real blessing in forgiveness. Looking at verse 17 onwards, Pharaoh says to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals, return to Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. And then on to verse 20, never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So Pharaoh doesn't just allow Joseph to do all this. You know, he offers Joseph's family the very best. He's so struck by what's happened. He's so moved by what's happened. He offers Joseph the very best. He actually takes Joseph's family to, a, to not just to a place where they're spared from the famine, but he wants to take them, take them to a better place than they were going to be in the first place. And again, we don't know exactly how much Pharaoh knew, but the outcome of Joseph's forgiveness was that Joseph's family were given the best of the land of Egypt. And I think often forgiveness can work like that for us. There's, it can often have a bigger impact than we think it will. It can often have a wider impact than we think it will have. 
I think there's no way, if you think about that story, right, if there was somebody else in charge, there's no way that the brothers and the family would have received that. If they'd have come to the prime minister and it wasn't Joseph, what could have happened? Maybe they would have got nothing. They might have been turned away. Or maybe at best, they might have just received what they asked for. But Joseph, Joseph's involvement and Pharaoh then getting involved on top of that and adding blessing after blessing meant that they actually got a better deal out of the whole situation. And I think that just shows how wide forgiveness can go. There's almost like an indirect effect of what had happened meant that they were doing better. And I think that's, that's true in our lives. When we forgive, when we receive, offer forgiveness, I think don't be surprised if that unlocks other things in other areas of your life, like a domino effect that kind of spreads out and hits all other kinds of things on the way. Maybe, you know, when you let go of that unforgiveness, it gives you the confidence to take that step in this direction that you needed. It leads to that job opportunity or that change in circumstance you were looking for, that something was holding you back. But when you let that go, maybe maybe it just changes things. Maybe when you reconcile with that person, it creates a connection that then leads to some opportunity to then reconnect and opens this door or that door. Just don't be surprised when forgiveness is involved if if more doesn't come with that. I think this is demonstrated a little bit in the book of James, James 5.16. It says here, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If you read this passage, it's all about healing. But then James throws in there that confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins. Righteousness. Somehow get involved with this idea of healing. And it's because I think there's more to forgiveness than just that kind of sort of one way or, 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 or two way street that's going on. There's all kinds of other things that can be in the mix. Confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed as part of it. So forgiveness, I don't think, just fixes one situation. It has a much wider impact. It has a much greater blessing when we forgive and are involved in forgiveness. And then the third perspective on forgiveness in the story, of course, is Joseph. The impact of offering forgiveness. And I think we see that there's a real release in forgiveness for Joseph, isn't there? We see verse two, he says, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And then again, in verse 14, it says again a few times, he threw his arm around his brother Benjamin and wept. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. You see how freeing it is for Joseph to forgive. In fact, interestingly, the story focuses way more on Joseph's reaction than the brothers. It doesn't say much about how the brothers react, a little bit about Benjamin, but it's much more about Joseph's reaction the one giving forgiveness has a bigger reaction than the one receiving and it kind of flips on its head I think what we imagine forgiveness to be like I think often we imagine the person receiving forgiveness to somehow receive all all of this stuff actually I think the person you most release when you forgive is yourself the person who gets most most out of it is you Mark 11, 25 when you stand praying if you hold anything against anyone forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Again, that connection between prayer and letting go of things for forgiveness is such a powerful thing. I think for some reason we almost imagine if I let go, if I forgive, I'm letting them, letting the other person win. You know, I imagine, oh, if I just hold on to this, that will really hurt them, that they, that they weren't forgiven. But there's that famous quote, isn't there? 
that unforgiveness is like drinking a poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. That's what unforgiveness is. It's this thing we're holding on. We think that that will teach them, that will show them. But actually, we're the one who benefits when we forgive. We're the one who benefits when we offer forgiveness. It's such a release. You see that in Joseph's reaction. And you know what? Yes, it's not easy. It's not easy. That story I read at the beginning about Mary Johnson, it took her years and years and years to truly forgive. It's not an easy thing to do. But also when I was looking at that story, Mary said in in a kind of wider testimony that it was like a weight lifted from her shoulders when she truly forgave her son's killer. And when we truly forgive, I think like Joseph, there's a powerful emotional release for us. There's a powerful uh, effect, a powerful release when we forgive. And the second thing I think looking at Joseph and him offering forgiveness is I think it shows us that there's perspective that we get in forgiveness. Verse five, it says, do not be distressed. He's speaking to his brothers. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And then in verse eight, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. See, in the midst of this emotional moment, Joseph had clarity about the journey he'd taken. It was almost like this was the final puzzle piece that kind of unlocked precisely what God had been doing all of these years. I think sometimes forgiveness is a bit like that. It kind of makes sense of some of our pain and some of our struggle and some of our difficulty. You know, we all know that famous verse in in Romans 8, 28. I'm sure we've heard it somewhere down the line. God can turn all things for our good. You know, we, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are according to, called according to his purpose. We've heard that before. But I think forgiveness really puts that into focus. It puts it into focus because the impact that forgiveness has, which we've covered a lot of that already today, the impact that has on ourselves and those around us can be one of those purposes that God has. One of the purposes God has and he's working through in us could be unlocked in forgiveness. And it's almost like, it, it's almost like we're, changing, uh, we're changing our sort of perspective on things. I kind of imagine us when you, we're holding unforgiveness, it's like we have a lens of unforgiveness over our eyes. It's like we've got uh, sort of like goggles or glasses on that aren't quite right. And we see everything through this lens. And when we take them off, now it's like we see things clearly or we've got the right prescription. We can see things much more clearly. But it's often, it's often forgiveness that does that. It's often forgiveness that gives us the right view of what's been going on completely. So we've covered three different angles to forgiveness in the story today. We've covered uh, the, the brother's perspective on the receiving of forgiveness, what that teaches us, that kind of fear of forgiveness, that fear because we have done something wrong. And that the response to forgiveness, we've done something wrong, but now we have to respond. We have to step out and try to do better. We've seen the impact of seeing forgiveness. You know, the testimony of forgiveness, when when we see forgiveness in action, whether it's sort of separate to us or we're involved in it, there's something powerful about that. It kind of we want to do something and, and, and get involved. And then that blessing in forgiveness, it does more than we think it will. That forgiveness kind of has a wider reach than we think it does. And then finally, in the, in the character of Joseph, that 
impact of offering forgiveness, the release that, that, that we get in, in forgiving it has a much more powerful effect often on ourselves than on the one we are forgiving. And that perspective it gives us on all that's come before. So I want to just kind of look at now, finally to end, just kind of the big picture. As we conclude, just look at things from like a big picture perspective. What is this story about? And really what this story is about is it's about Joseph, of course. But really, when you look at it in the context of the Bible, this is a mini picture of, of Jesus, isn't it? Joseph is he's pretty great. You know, he's, he's one of the top biblical characters if you look to his life. But Jesus is like the perfect Joseph. This whole story is like a redemption story. And Jesus is the perfect picture of that, isn't he? Except what Jesus offers isn't like a surprise package. You know, Joseph sort of had to put the needle in a little bit. He had to sort of test his brothers and do this and that. What Jesus is offering is not a surprise. It's not something that should be like a shock to us. It's something that he just comes and opens his arms willingly and openly to us, freely for us. He says, this is for you. Restoration, healing, forgiveness is for you. And I think when we read these passages... We, we often want to read ourselves into it. I think we've discussed this in a few different series we've run before. Um, but I don't think in this story we are Joseph, really. If we were going to look at who are we in this story or kind of fitting in with that, who, who are, where do we most kind of align? Just like in the story of David and Goliath, we're not David. <laughs> Jesus is David. The story of Nehemiah, we're probably not, most of us, not Nehemiahs. In this story, most of us are not Josephs. Jesus is Joseph. We're more like the brothers, aren't we? We're more like Joseph's brothers in that we are the ones who need forgiveness. We need a forgiveness from the one we have wronged, who is God. Every sin, everything we do wrong in life is against God. So we're the ones who need forgiveness. And forgiveness is a fundamental part of the gospel, isn't it? To be a Christian, we all need to forgive. And I think the key thing I want to just highlight before we finish is just we all need to receive forgiveness and we all need to offer forgiveness. Challenging verse, Matthew 6, 14 to 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. Challenging, isn't it? Because it's a two-way street. It's both sides. And you may think, wait, I thought, I thought you know, there's like an unconditional offer with God for this forgiveness thing. And it's, well, yes and no. Yes and no. You see, the point is, is that one doesn't really exist without the other. You can't, you can't say, I'll take God's forgiveness, but I won't give that to someone else. Because basically what you're saying is, what you're saying is, is that person's wrong against you that you won't forgive is greater than the forgiveness that God has offered to you. Every single sin, everything you've done wrong in your life that God has forgiven is somehow lesser than that, that one wrong that person did to you what they did to you is more weighty you can't separate the two no no more than you can separate the command to love god and love your neighbor if someone said to you well i believe in the love god bit but i'm not going to do the love love your neighbor bit no they're the two greatest commands jesus says love god and love your neighbor you can't separate the two you can't say i'm going to take that but not that it's the same with forgiveness it's hard i'm not saying it's easy but the bible makes it clear that we are forgiven by God and we should be offering forgiveness 
to others. It's like a two-for-one deal. That's, that's how it works. We forgive others, and God forgives us. It doesn't mean that we make unwise decisions like Mark was talking about um, in previous weeks. It doesn't mean that we have to even like the person, you know. Um, forgiveness is not always fellowship. <laughs> um, so it's not to say that forgiving someone means you have to now be their best mate. You have to live next door to them and stuff like in, in that story at the beginning. That's, that's, that's not what we're saying. But it's just to say that our, our role is to try to offer, is to offer forgiveness to people and then leave the rest to God. You know, so many times in the Bible, in so many places, it basically just says justice is the Lord's. Leave it with God. Leave what happens with God. But we're still called to offer forgiveness. We're still off, called to forgive others. But the good news is, the good news is that God's offer of forgiveness to us is a perfect offer of forgiveness. You see in verse 7 and verse 8, it says, for two years there have been famine in the land, for the next five years there'll be no plowing and reaping. This is Joseph talking to his brothers. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for your remnant on earth, to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. But God. Those two words change everything, isn't it? It's like a perspective shift. I can't, but God can. Because I'm sure many of you here are thinking, I, I want to forgive someone, but I just can't. I can't forgive that person for what they did. You can't, but God can. The Holy Spirit within you can forgive. You can't do it in your own strength. No, we can't. We often can't. But God can. Just like Joseph in the story. Joseph couldn't get to where he went by himself. He couldn't. But God sent me ahead of you. It was not you who sent me here, but God. If you're, if you're here now, you're like, I don't know how to... Offer forgiveness. I don't even know how to receive forgiveness from God. You can't, but God can. So my final encouragement to you, I'm just going to read to you um, a passage from the, prod the story of the prodigal son, which is just such a perfect picture, I think, of God's forgiveness. Like I said, Joseph was great, but God's love, God's forgiveness is perfect. So let me just read to you from the prodigal son, Luke 15. So he went out and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's what it's like when we come to God asking for forgiveness. He runs to us. He celebrates. And of course, when we're forgiven, the challenge is then for us to then forgive others. But I just wanted to focus on that to finish this morning. That story of forgiveness. That is what we can expect this morning. Some of us here may, may struggle with that idea of being forgiven. You may think what you've done is too great. It's too much. Or you may think, I'm just not, I'm just not in the place right now to receive that. I need, I need to hurt more. I need to feel it more. But you know what? God, if you come to God with your arms open, 
you come to God just open-armed, just saying, I know I messed up. I need your forgiveness. He's just like the father in that story. He'll run to you. He'll throw his arms around you. He will kiss you. And he will celebrate. 